As the Israelites journeyed through the desert some 3,500 years ago, uncertain as yet where they were headed, uncertain as yet about whether their journey would ever actually end, as these Israelites journeyed through the desert, the book of Exodus tells us, they soon enough began grumbling. Many of them fed up with the existential exhaustion of the whole experience, began saying that they'd prefer to go back to Egypt where at least they'd known what to expect from day to day, where at least they weren't constantly wandering without direction, where at least they had the assurance of two square meals a day and a nice cold Coca-Cola besides. I may have made up that Coca-Cola part. At least there we have plenty to eat, they complained to Moses and Exodus 16. But now you've brought us out here to die in this desert. And so, of course, then comes the astonishing passage where God promises to rain down bread from heaven, which, according to the text, God does in the form of manna, that bread-like substance that would mysteriously appear each morning atop the ground, here, Moses said to the Israelites, as they beheld manna on that first morning, here you see the glory of God. And the Israelites agreed. Amazed and appreciative, they ate and they gave thanks. In this bread, they beheld the glory of God. But then came the next day. And then the next and then the next. And soon enough, the amazement of this daily provision ceased to be a marvel to them. And what's more, it ceased even being enough. And thus, many of them began to hoard it and to demand more of it and to take it for granted. And so here then was a miracle. Here was a daily miracle and in no time they'd come to overlook the wonder of it. And in so doing, the text tells us, they missed the object lesson God was trying to teach them. Which was to trust in and be aware of and remain thankful for the daily provision of God. And so here now is why I bring up this story this morning. I bring up this story this morning. I open with this story about the Israelites and their daily bread in the wilderness in order to underscore something very important about Jesus' prayer in our gospel text for today, which comes to us from Matthew chapter 6. I bring up the story of the Israelites in the desert and their daily bread so as to draw our attention to the fact that when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he's not just using poetic language to describe an abstract idea. He's instead alluding to a very specific story in the history of the Jewish faith. There amid their own existential uncertainty, he is saying to his disciples, there long ago our forebears were hungry and scared. 
wandering aimlessly through a desert with no end in sight. And at that time, God revealed his glory by providing them with bread, daily bread. So trust then, he is teaching them, that God is still in the business of seeing human worry and anguish. And in response, delivering that which we need each day. Therefore, pray this, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And unspoken but critical to the illusion. And help us never to forget what a wonder and blessing it is. Okay, let's shift gears now. I want to tell you a story. It's not an exciting story, but in many ways that is the very point. It's simplicity and it's relative insignificance. So you've been warned. Nothing exciting here. It goes like this. Monday morning, this past Monday morning, Wit woke up earlier than usual. 4.45. The world was still asleep, and Lord knows I wanted to still be asleep with it. But Wit wasn't having it. So I got up, started coffee, got him some breakfast, and we began our day. Then after he'd finished his yogurt, I put him into his play area where he occupied himself for about an hour or so. And there, with him sufficiently occupied, I was able to sit down and read and reflect and pray for a while. And it was great. But soon enough, he got fussy again. He wanted attention. And he was not going to let me distract him with any more television or any new toys. So by this point, the sun had just come up, but the world was still quite still. And so I decided to put him in his stroller and take him for a walk. And he was pumped about this, by the way. I mean, pumped. When he saw that I was getting the stroller out, he lit up, quite aware of what this meant was about to happen. So I put him in the stroller, and off we went through the neighborhood. Now, if you'll recall, this past Monday was a glorious morning. No humidity. The air was cool. And as we walked... I began reflecting on how glad I was that we'd come out to do this, for taking walks in the morning is not part of our usual routine. And as I was considering this, as I was thinking that very thing, we were coming down a hill in my neighborhood, when suddenly I was struck by the way the early morning light was sitting on a willow tree in my neighbor's yard. Now to understand the point of this story, you have to understand that I'm not given often to stopping and pondering the beauty of trees. Don't get me wrong, I love trees, especially willow trees, but my thoughts are not typically arrested by the sheer overwhelming beauty of a tree. In fact, I've passed this very tree approximately 1,000 times since living in Anderson and never once have I stopped to take particular notice of it? But this morning, for whatever reason, my senses were alert. Maybe it was the way the light was falling on the tree. Maybe it was the tree itself. 
Maybe it was the good mood I was in. Maybe it's because I was walking with my little buddy and I knew he was excited about the walk we were taking. Likely it was all of those things put together. But whatever it was, the point of the story is that it was a moment that stopped me. It was a moment that overpowered me and nourished me and inspired me. It was a moment that palpably revealed the glory of God. In other words, it was manna atop the ground that morning. It was daily bread. But then just as quickly it was over, and Whit and I finished our walk, and then I went on with the rest of my day. And that's the end of the story. Only it's not the end of the story. Because the truth is, Monday wound up being a long day. Not a bad day, just a long day. I had many things come up that day that were difficult and demanding, and I didn't end up going home that day until well after supper time. And so by the time I got home, I had just enough time to help April put the kids to bed. And here's the God's honest truth. I didn't want to help put the kids to bed. I wanted to sit in a quiet place and decompress for a little while. I wanted to have some stillness, some silence. I wanted just a little bit of time to recharge my batteries. But alas, such time was not available. And so I helped April, who, by the way, needed and deserved stillness and silence and battery recharging far more than I did. So I helped April finish putting Wit in his pajamas, and I took him into his bedroom to put him to sleep. Man, did he fight it. On and on he resisted. And all the while, my impatience and my frustration and my claim on being aggrieved was continuing to heighten. I could feel the book that I was eager to read magnetically pulling me toward the living room. Yet here was this child intransigently fighting against my ability to go read it. And so there I stood in the dark, holding this little boy, singing him hymns and quoting scriptures to him, trying to will him to sleep, all the while feeling embittered by my never-ending day. In other words, I was complaining and grumbling, wandering through the desert of my day with seemingly no end in sight, completely having forgotten about the glory of the Lord I'd seen that morning, already having taken for granted the blessing of my daily bread. That is until, that is until amid all of that frustration, amid the incessant put-down, pick-back-ups of this little boy who would not stay lying down in that crib, that is, until holding this little boy in the silence, he suddenly said, Hey, Dada. And then he smiled and he put his head on my shoulder as if hugging into me. And suddenly upon seeing that smile, I then remembered his earlier smile as I'd pulled out that stroller, which then made me think back to our walk and to what a joy it had been, and what a marvel it was when he and I stood there and beheld the willow tree together, 
seized by the beauty and the wonder of it all, by the glory of creation and by the goodness of the God who created it. And suddenly, just like that, I realized anew just how lucky I am to get to live in a world such as this. To have this beautiful baby who isn't old enough yet to interpret my exasperation and who instead thinks he and I are having a ball together in his room. This little baby who says, hey, dad, dad, to me as if we are both equally pumped that he's awake at this moment. This little baby who gets me out of bed earlier than I'd prefer and out on a walk at just the right time to see the light play just so off of that particular willow tree. What a gift I realized anew to live in a world like this. Oh, I'd seen the glory of God that day, I reminded myself, at least twice now. I'd received my daily bread and then some. Yet like the Israelites long before me, I had become so desensitized to it that I hadn't even given the proper thanks for the provision. Leading me back now to the biblical story. 1,500 years after the Israelites finished their indefinite wanderings through the desert, the Apostle Paul found himself leading a new community that was wandering through a different sort of desert. By this point, nearly 30 years had passed since Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And still the culmination of God's kingdom had not come to pass. And you see, in those earliest years, it had been taken for granted that this would soon happen. That Christ would soon return in the fullness of his kingdom. But all this time later, still they were waiting. And consequently, like their forebears before them, many of them were beginning to grumble and to complain and to grow idle and to cease living lives that bore fruit of their professed beliefs. And this was true of all the churches that Paul ministered to, but it was particularly true for the church in Thessalonica. And so Paul, in our epistle lesson for today, trying to remind these Thessalonian disciples that whether Christ should return tomorrow or 10,000 years from now, that still they were all the while receiving daily provisions, daily bread, for which they ought always to be grateful. And trying to remind them that while they couldn't know the final hour, they should be readily able to interpret the love of God in these small daily gifts of the present. Trying to remind them of all of this, Paul writes to them of their ongoing wait. Remember, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all things. While you wait, Paul writes, give thanks in all things. In other words, keep your eyes open, Paul is saying. Remain alert. Do not in your impatience to see heaven itself come down in its fullness. Overlook the daily bread that comes down from there each day. 
You follow? Well, like the Israelites and the Thessalonians before us, so too do we find ourselves now in a period of anxious waiting. Five months later, we continue to wander through the shifting sands of this pandemic desert. Five months later, we continue to wonder when the end will finally come. And like our forebears before us, so too is it easy for us to grow impatient and angry, pessimistic and cynical. Which is why I was particularly moved by Anita Elrod's response to my request for favorite scriptures for this new sermon series. When I sent out that request last month, Anita wrote back to me citing a devotional book that she'd recently acquired, and particularly 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all things. Anita wrote to me, With everything going on, this scripture challenged me to find evidence of God's gifts every day. And so I did. Most of these gifts were mundane, ordinary, but reflecting on these gifts was very meaningful to me during days when I did not have very much that was meaningful happening in my life during this pandemic. However, it made me so much more aware of the fact that if we look, we can find evidence of God's love, protection, and care every day of our lives and find many, many things to be thankful for. I love that so much. Yes, I thought as I read that. Yes, that is absolutely right. Listen again. Most of these gifts, Anita writes, were mundane, ordinary. But if we look, we can find evidence of God's love, protection, and care every day of our lives and find many, many things to be thankful for. Oh, would that these beautiful words from Anita be a reminder for all of us that despite being exhausted in the wilderness, still, a layer of bread does show up each morning on the ground before us. If only we'll have eyes to see. If only we'll remember while we wait to give thanks in all things. I close with this. In her Pulitzer Prize winning novel Gilead, Marilyn Robinson writes, and I quote, Wherever you turn your eyes, the world can shine like transfiguration. You don't have to bring a thing to it except a little willingness to see. The world, she writes, can shine like transfiguration if only we have the willingness to see. If only we'll keep our eyes open, a willow tree on a Monday morning can reveal to us the glory of God. 
If only we'll remember to be thankful in all things. A baby's smile can reveal itself as manna from heaven. Yes, if only we'll remember to look for evidence of God's love, protection, and care in the mundane and ordinary, as Anita reminds us, we can find ample strength for the journey through the desert. If only we'll have eyes to see. And so this we pray. Give us this day, O God, our daily bread. And thanks be to you in all things. Amen.